Welcome to episode 258 of Coffee Pods and Wads. GoWad Mobility are offering you a free trial. If you download the GoWad app, you can test your mobility and see how god-awful it is. And then you can get to work on the same library of movements and protocols as people like Medeiros, Fraser, Wells, McQuaid, and a million other users worldwide. Well, 999,996 to be more precise. Uh, Rain are offering you enough caffeine to rouse a rhino. That statement is untested. Uh, Peach Fizz is your best flavor. That statement is tested. Uh, Whoop are offering to tell you how bad your sleep is and how you shouldn't have had that pizza last night and give you anxiety over your sleep performance or give you info that will help you better yourself and improve your performance. You can join at join.whoop.com forward slash CPW for some savings and a free 4.0. They're also bringing out blue box blue blocker glasses uh, to help with your sleep and REM and all that kind of stuff um, and some smart swim gear with tier t-r-y-r tire tier anyway uh, rad oh lord there's big things coming in November and beyond presumably but November is here now so that's all that matters forever until it's December I suppose rad-global.com for updates and to be added to their email list and there's a new Lumberjack based launch coming imminently too which is just so far of left field I love it Uh, the news now with LSKD LSKD are bringing the street aesthetic to CrossFit and training lskd.co for shorts for every occasion running training sitting uh, standing standing with one leg on a chair maybe possibly yoga loads of stuff uh, they've got a massive sale coming up from next tuesday the 15th up to 70 percent off site wide and it's actually called the move fast sale which you know makes sense considering everything's going to go pretty quickly fitter are in the news this week they are launching their white label in december for pro coaches when the clients go on their app they'll be able to be greeted by their coach's own colorway that they've selected for each page and widget and everything that the client sees in the new year they're adding the option to use your own logo on the app and further personalizing it and making it more of a community feel you can go to get.fitter.training and you can see for yourself what the white label would look like and on another page you can see what the clients will experience when they log on to your coaching platform as well jst are bringing back regionals they have got seven regions so far all in the uk each weekend the regions will go head to head on the same events with scores taken for participation weightlifting and a workout the score is the average for both the top five males and the top three females in each region which i love because basically everyone can go and take part without fear of bringing the score down or bringing down the average or anything like that and they're on the hunt for more anywhere in the world if you're keen you can message at jack cornthwaite on instagram or at jst compete on instagram or email inquiries at jstcompete.com today's guest is moritz furste he's a co-founder of hyrox and he's a multiple olympic medal winning hockey player we chat about hyrox events and the growth from year one to the next and comparisons to crossfit affiliation hockey gold medals and retirement enjoy listen share and tag Okay, so thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. It's great to get to talk to you. Jesus, you're a fucking impressive athlete. Um, like, so uh, Keith, it was Keith that, that put us in touch with each other um, from Fitness PR, and he he said in his email, he said, "Oh, this guy, um, you know, you, you had Christian on last year to talk about High Rocks just before the season started, and this would be a nice follow up for the second year." And he said, "Oh, he's also an accomplished athlete in his own right." And I was like, right, what does that mean, accomplished athlete? So I Googled and see, is field hockey was your sport of choice? That's correct, yes. And is that, um, so just so I know that I'm talking about the right thing and I'm not just being an idiot, <laughs> is that, uh, that's the one that you see at the Olympics. That's the one with like the, it's like a, sometimes it's a blue pitch um, or like correct, green. Yes. Yeah, okay. Not and Ireland are pretty good at it, aren't we? You are quite decent, yeah. Became yeah. decent over the years, yeah. We played in, uh, we played Ireland in the Rio Olympics for the first time, I suppose. And yeah. uh, that was a tough, that was a close match, very close match actually, three two. Okay, they did very well. What's uh, and and okay, and then rules. Um, so I got I got given out to before because I had someone that played baseball on, and I spent too long going through the rules just to clarify them for myself. So I'll breeze through quickly. Um, you have a stick, you have a ball. How many is on a team? It's eleven v eleven. Okay, I'm like in soccer, football. It's a big pitch, though, isn't it? Like everyone almost, always seems to have a lot of space. 
almost same size like football. All right, okay. Um, and there's a goalie, and then defenders, midfielders, strikers, attackers, mm. whatever. Um, and then is am I right in saying that the stick can't come above your knee or something? That used to be a rule, a rule for like I don't know, a long time ago. But uh, it, there are certain rules about this, the hockey stick that um, are not very easy to understand. Maybe this, the easiest one, you can only use one side of the stick, which is the big difference to, for example, ice hockey, where you okay. can just dribble with both sides. So there's like a flat side and then there's a little bit rounded side and you're not allowed to, to use the rounded one. So that's, that, that's what makes the sport quite technically difficult. Also, if you have the ball, say, on your right side, you basically can't switch sides then unless you actually turn around like yeah, you have backwards. to turn the stick so use like the little front yeah. side of the stick and it's 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 quite it's quite a technical sport yeah um and what's it like with contact no contact Minimum. no there's contact um okay, there's so no flag. body checks there's no body checks but there's contact okay would you classify it as rough a rough sport? not from a American football perspective, yes, from a basketball <laughs> perspective. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere in the middle of those two sports, yeah. that's good. Um, so yeah, you, so you're, you're a goal, an Olympic gold medalist twice. So you won in 2008 and 2012. 2012 was London, wasn't it? Yeah. And 2008 was Beijing. Um, and then you got bronze in Rio. Um, you steamrolled through Ireland and got bronze. Um. <laughs> And then there's some other stuff, and now a lot of this doesn't mean a lot to me, but we'll 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 run through it. So, World Cup 2006, that's a club competition, is it? No, that's that's international. But is it played with clubs or with countries? Because it said it said Bayern München Gladbach or like München Gladbach. That or was, was that where the, it was? That was where it was. Okay, right. Okay, I just wanted to say München Gladbach to be honest. Yeah, um, well, well done. Actually, that's not not an easy word word for. I know, yeah. I remember seeing it when I was younger. I like I've I'm uh, <clears throat> kind of obsessive about some stuff, and like soccer is one of the things. Do you ever play those? Um, you know where it's like name the player and it shows you like an obscure player yeah, from like 1995. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm quite good at that kind of stuff. I'm uh, munching Gladbach. I remember Paul O'Connell, Irish rugby player, was on a quiz show in the UK, and it was you know one of those like fill in the blanks. And it was like BM was all that was there. And like he, there was all the space and he goes, Bayern Munchen Gladbach. And it was like, how the fuck did he get that? But he said he counted the gaps. It was like, there's only one team that has that many letters in it. Um, Who was the fa- most 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 famous uh, striker for Munchen Gladbach in 95? Oh, fucking hell, in 95. When would that have been? That, like I would have been like seven. Who would have been there? Give me some hints. German, I assume. Swedish. Swedish. Larsen? Did he play there? No. Martin Dahlin. Legend. Absolute legend. Um, And do you support Hamburg? Yes, I do. Okay. Because German football is quite, uh, what would you call it? Feverant support, isn't it? It's quite like, like it's pretty... uh, fanatical support it's not like just oh, i'm gonna go to the match and watch it it's like i'm gonna fucking go to the match <laughs> yeah that's actually that's absolutely true uh, <laughs> i have a few of those in my family but uh, <laughs> never mind no it's yeah it i to be honest i think it got a little too intense over the last 10 years uh okay i feel the fanatism is uh, is beyond anything that's healthy at the moment at least uh, at least in the very like ultra scene, so um, I don't enjoy that that much. To be honest, uh, I very much prefer how it is, like in other countries in Europe. So my friends just recently went to Liverpool to watch the the um, Liverpool Man City match, and they were just blown away by the basically just the fun that people have around yeah. the stadium the entire day you don't hear it's more it's more about hatred against the other team and not so much about supporting the own team which really annoys me yeah i mean it was like that for quite a long time in in england so maybe maybe it's just cyclical maybe it just goes in like a circle or whatever um 
So yeah, sorry. So you you had you're like voted most valuable player uh in like the European Championships twice, like in the season and then at the actual championships as well. Um yeah, two, two, one was the Champions League if you compare okay. it to to football uh and then one time it was the actual European Championships with the countries. Okay. Um and then I thought this is interesting. So you were sold. I just find it funny. Like, I know what happens in football and stuff, but I suppose because CrossFit is like what I pay attention to most now, when I hear of a person being sold, it just kind of makes me laugh. That like, It's like, that, yeah. I don't know, a commodity or whatever. Um, so I read that you were sold once for like $75,000 and then another time for $105,000. And both times there was like, what would you call it? like a reserve, like a, a starting price or whatever, which was like way lower than the finishing price. Yeah. Um, because when, it's not. Yeah. Uh, when you're like, are you there when that's ha- like, how do you pay attention? Is like your agent there? Are you there? Like, how do you pay attention to that kind of stuff? No, uh, it, I mean, I think especially people from the UK are actually pretty familiar with that uh, kind of logic because the IPL, the, the cricket league, uh, Indian Cricket League uh, has been doing these uh, auctions or drafts or whatever that you want to call it uh, for, I think, 10, 12 years now, mm. 15 years maybe even. Um, so basically, as far as I'm concerned, it's the f- best and fairest way to start an initial season. Uh, like, you know, very from scratch. If you start at the beginning and they, that's what the Indians did. So they invented this league, the Indian Hockey League. They started it from zero. They said every team has the exact same amount of money as a salary cap. And then we do an auction. So every single player that wants to play in the league can sign up. And then there's one day, it took 14 and a half hours. And they literally put every single player that entered the draw, the draft. They pulled the numbers out of a whatever box. And then they read number 15,205. Then name ah, Moritz Furster from Germany. And then they started the bidding. And every team had the chance to acquire any of the players. And the amount you were basically, um, you would, were auctioned for was your salary. So um, I, ever, you, you could, I could have been there, but I didn't, I didn't want to. Um, but I was watching it live on YouTube. There's actually a pretty cool YouTube clip uh, you, you should maybe put it in the show notes or so, because I think that's actually very interesting to, to watch. It's like a 15 minute clip of my auction of, and, and I mean, you, I literally sat at four 30 or five 30 in the morning uh, with my daughter and my wife in, in my bed, drinking a coffee and just hoping that they would raise their hands and keep raising <laughs> hands. It was actually pretty funny. So if you sold for 75,000, then that meant that your wage or your salary for the year was 75,000 or whatever. That's the way that's, that's for that season. Yeah. For that season. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. So you must've been like, come on, like yeah. get, get some people to do some phone bids or something to try and drive it up. Exactly, exactly. Um, and okay. And so do they, I assume the clubs know who's like, they can see the whole list and be like, all right, let's save some for, for Moritz there. We need him, so we'll hold off. We won't get any of those first few guys. Okay, right, okay. So I assume then as well, everyone gets like a marquee. Like, you, you know, you allocate yeah. maybe half your money for one person and then the rest of it's split. Okay, right, okay. Um, is there pressure with that then when you're like, if your initial, say, opening bid is like 20,000, but you go for like over 100,000, when you like land at that club, are you like, oh fuck, everyone's expecting me to be this like like god of hockey coming in here and everyone else is on less than I am and stuff? Um well yes and no. So it does play a role a little bit. You feel I, I, I have to admit that I did feel the responsibility that comes along with it a little bit. I was also captain of the team and then um I would definitely say that I I was looking after myself getting there, like, you know, in shape and being like responsible and kind of the empathic team leader. But then on the other hand, once that whole, you know, the game starts or training starts, you never think about it again. And uh, sometimes you make jokes about it. So when like a striker misses an empty net, you would say, oh, your pocket's too deep with all the money you were carrying. Or, you know, so that's just team bullshitting. But yeah. um <clears throat> Uh, no, but that was that was never really the case. But I have to admit that I was 
I, I, I was the the highest ever paid player in the in the hockey India league, so that was rather something that made me actually pretty proud. I have to admit, that's the, the little bit of cockiness that I have to, have to take for myself. Um, that's allowed. Is there is, is it similar then? Is hockey similar to, um, say soccer or football? You know where you have like back pages and there's like you know loads of gossip or rumors or stuff, or there might be like. A journalist writing articles about like, oh, this guy's over the hill. He's lost it. He's lost his touch or whatever, or you know, like all that kind of stuff. Like, does that stuff happen in hockey as well? No, and I mean, I just said that I was the highest ever paid player. I mean, a soccer player wouldn't even, you know, bend his shoes for that amount of money. <laughs> you know, so uh, I think that we're far, still far away from losing the ground under our feet. Uh, no, but in India. Uh, it's a little different. So in Germany, no one cares. We have sometimes more dogs at a hockey game than than actually people watching. So um, it's but in India, it's different. We had the home stadium that I was playing in in a city that no one in uh, like Europe ever heard before, called Bhuvaneshwar, um, is uh, like and of course there are more than a million people living in that city also. But we had a stadium with roughly seventy and a half thousand, twenty thousand people fit in there, and it was sold out every single night. And uh, there's all games live on TV at 8 p.m. And um, there's like a one and a half hour pregame show and there's newspapers full on the next day. And it's it's crazy. It's like the 15 minutes of glory, you know, and all, only that the season is a little longer than 15 minutes. But um, it's quite it was quite an experience. I played how, four, long, uh, four how long is the season? Our season is roughly two months plus preparation time, two and a half weeks or something. Uh, and you were there four seasons. So did you move? Did you like move to India, move back, move to, or did you stay there for four years? No, 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 no. We, I, that's, it's basically, so there's, there's a larger uh, winter break in field hockey in Europe due to the weather. Because uh, okay. we play on artificial turf that's, that's, fr that froze in winter. So yeah. it's not very nice to play on it. Um, so we play winter season when you actually go indoors, play a different sport, but that's, that's too difficult to explain. But so basically we use the winter breaks to go to India and play the season there. Okay. Um, and is, is the European league fine with that? Or is like, is, is say if you're playing with like Hamburg, are they like, oh yeah, that's cool. Or are they like, if you fucking come back injured, like what's the, what's the vibe like? No, I mean, of course this at that point it's it's a it's a money game i mean the the clubs would say if the club would say that i would say okay then pay me that money and i don't go so yeah. there's basically no choice it's it's you know you provide you have like that's kind of your job although it's not because you never make enough money to actually live off that sport but uh then still it's kind of your job because you that you don't do much else at the at the time because you're training professionally you're just not making professional money so um that was never an issue with the clubs in Europe um was it a bit of a culture shock then going for a couple of months over to India and then back it must have been especially if you're leaving winter it must have been double the shock well in the first year, I have to admit, I always say that um, in interviews that it's like literally the most spiritual and socially um, embracing, if that's a word for it, like time of my life. Uh, I learned more in those first two months in 2013 uh, about the world than in the rest of the 38 years that I'm on this planet. Um, that was absolutely stunning and mind-blowing um walking around with these guys i mean i don't have a connection to religion for example but standing at the golden temple um in amritsar uh with like this famous sikh temple the basically um yeah most important religious temple of of the sikh culture or religion those um and we had a lot of six in our team so these guys, like, you know, this hunting, lion hunting uh, cast from, uh, which is very interesting because they are all, I, I think it's the, it's the, um, the fewest people are six, but then they basically have all the power in the government, all the politi politicians are, or many of them are six. So we're sitting at this, I'm standing in, at this temple and basically, obviously, like a tourist walking around, you know, looking at this impressive building and so on and so forth. 
but walking next to the guys and them walking through it and the seriousness and the spirituality of them and how with how much respect they basically confront or walk through that made me gave me chills the entire time i was walking next to them and i was just blown away by the yeah literally by the seriousness that they put into this thing that they call religion that we all call religion but where i never had an access to from any like you know yeah. perspective so that was one thing or um I was invited to a house of one of the younger players where he lived with his parents, his brothers and sisters, his grandmother. And it was like three rooms or something. It was actually a pretty okay house for Indian, for India. But um, so he was living there and the kind of, you know, the way that they were appreciating me just stopping by, they gave me money. That's a tradition there. They, so they would, they have nothing. And they, gave me like a 500 rupee bill or something. And, uh, and I was told that I can never not accept that. So I felt like the worst person in the world walking into that house of that player that didn't even make like 5k that season. And his grandma gave me like a 500 rupee bill, which is like a lot of money for them. A lot yeah. of money. So now, sorry, long story short, but that's, that was the most impressive time of, from a social perspective. God, you could have doubled your wage if you just went around knocking on everyone's house and be like, hey, I'm just stopping yeah. in for a visit. just want to call in for dinner. Oh, <laughs> damn, I never thought about that. That's you could so have come sad. home with like 210,000. God, oh, you really damn. missed it. Um, I saw as well, uh, there's an indoor World Cup and an outdoor one. Like, what is there a difference apart from the fact that you're inside and outside, obviously? Is there other differences with that? Yeah, big differences. Do you want to go there or leave I it? mean you can give me the cliff notes is it played on a hard court like a okay, hard it's, surface it's played on a on a like indoor school gym turf surface okay so like basketball maybe or handball and um it's 6v6 instead oh, of 11 okay. 11 it's uh, so is it even... kind of like um say like what futsal is to football yeah. then yeah exactly okay. the same yeah, it's very comparable yeah okay nice oh, i'm proud of that then that's cool um you retired, so I was a bit confused with this part. So you retired from everyone hockey. Everyone is. Everyone is. But then I read an article that said that you like unretired because some local club or something was struggling for players or something. Is that right? No, I. So I retired from international hockey in 2016 after the Rio Olympics. I played a couple more years for my home club in Hamburg that I never left apart from the Indian thing and yeah. the Spanish and the Spanish journey. And then um, when COVID hit. And our events were down and, you know, we couldn't, like, literally couldn't do anything. For some reason, um, a Belgium club called me up and said, would you fancy play another season? Um, so I played the COVID season, as I call it, which was um, from August 2020 to, like, March 21, where, like, nobody was allowed to watch or anything. And I had, like, an exemption to drive to Belgium every Thursday to train with the team a couple of times and then play games on Sundays and drive back home without seeing anyone but the team and doing all these testing stuff all the time but it was fun because i didn't have anything to do and um so i could i could make some bucks on the side and i was enjoying that a lot so there was no hockey matches in germany they were like off but no then, they uh, were also playing under these circumstances but no no club in germany called me up <laughs> <laughs> okay um and had you made your peace with retiring like were you like Absolutely. were you like slippers and pipe like i'm done and then the phone rang yeah, I mean, I never, I never touched like a hockey stick again after I retired in 2018, not a single time. And then they called me up and I told them, I was like, guys, it's, I, I didn't play ever. And they said, yeah, never mind. It's, you're going to be fine. And then, so I went, but uh, yeah, I haven't played ever since. Um, And how long did you play for, say, from when you started like playing week in week out until 2018 how many years was that i played my first season season in 2000 okay so 18 years of you called it like professional professional training but not professional wages hockey basically yeah. um so you retired from international in 2016 um what was that like because if you won gold in 2008 and won gold in 2012 and won bronze in 2016 obviously for like you know, 99.999% of the population winning a bronze medal at the Olympics is like 
amazing and fantastic but if you've come off the back of two goals is it like disappointing or was it it like was bronze were you happy with bronze you know what i mean yeah bronze was was more than gold it was i mean look the thing the thing about that question is that it's impossible to compare any kind of successes or titles or medals mm. because there's like i consider if i if i would have if, if for me it would have been about titles i could have quit in 2012 already with like yeah. age 28 or whatever because i literally and it's not me it's of course i i was doing team sports we won in that decade we won everything every literally everything there's yeah. not a single title we didn't win in over the 10 decade from 2002 to 2013 so but that's not the driver you know it's like sport creates like memories and histories and emotions and i have like there's a title that i won with my club team that i don't want to go into but that's which doesn't mean anything to anyone in the world but for me it's almost the most important title emotionally that i ever won because it was a stupid German indoor championship title, but I never won one before. And this was only with my six best friends, basically, that I grew up with yeah. that just had fun playing another last season in 2018 indoors. And suddenly for the first time, after trying it for 17 times, losing eight finals, we won that stupid thing. And, you know, that meant the world to me. So, and of course, if I tell you that emotionally, it almost means as much, much as a gold medal at the Olympics, of course, that's a stupid answer, but as far as I'm concerned, emotions basically um, are the main driver for everything we do in sports. And for me, uh, every single title or story has his, its very own history and, and story behind it. And that's what's the important thing. And so, like, for example, in 2016, um, at the Olympics, we, we were we with 43 seconds to go in the quarterfinals against New Zealand we were 2-1 down and we scored two more goals in those 43 seconds and won at 3-2 and went to the semi-finals and um it's still called one of the or it's still called the biggest a comeback in sports history at the Olympics officially by the Olympic Channel and so we had a like that story that his the career could have been over in that very second with mm. no quarterfinal loss against the Kiwis and then us making the semis and then being absolutely smashed by Argentina because we were still basically celebrating that last goal against, against New Zealand, but then fighting back against our arch rivals that we bet like every single time in that 15 years of my international career, uh, Holland, and then beating them again in penalty shootouts at the end. Uh, that was, as I said, it was almost better than the feeling four years before. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, did you know you were retiring after that from international I knew it exactly the minute after we lost against Argentina in the semi-final and I told the team that night and were you like um, like content in retiring were you happy in retiring or was it like a fed up feeling Was it? did you think you just cut, like as you said you'd won so much you just ticked off all the boxes that you were like yeah this is fine no it was it was you know, the thing is about what I said before about being professional amateur, <laughs> if you want, is that you you actually count in like four-year cycles because okay. there is nothing more than the Olympics. So you either play until the next Olympics or you might as well just leave it at all, leave it in the first place because the hustle is, is very tough. I mean, we had nine to 11 training sessions a week plus the games on the weekend with the club teams and then the international travels, 120 nights in hotel rooms a year. So that's, and I had a family already. I had, my first daughter was born in 2015. So I got married and, you know, life changed and the responsibility changed. And I was like, okay, I can't do this another four years. But I was not sure. I, I w went to the Olympics and I was like, okay, this is still my life. Let's see what's happening and so on. But in that moment after the game, I felt, okay, this was all i i gave it my all but i cannot do it for more years absolutely yeah. um was club retirement a more difficult decision than that well you know the thing is that the diff the difference between international hockey and then club hockey is quite big so a good international player can play for quite a few more years on club level just because the gap is 
quite big. So I, yeah, I could probably still play if I wanted, but yeah, yeah no, it's more or less the same decision. I've, I've found, I think, you know, timing is everything. And at one point, you know. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember hearing, I think it was Rio Ferdinand or someone was talking about when he retired and he said that he just had this thing of like getting out of bed, like the morning after and just being like, Oh, like that there was no, like, you know, like it's usually like, all right, get up and I need to go to training. And then after training, I got that media thing. And then after that, I got this and that and rehab and whatever. But he was like, literally got out of bed and was just like, oh, okay. I don't know. Like there was just no drive behind things. And I know I've talked, um, I say in, in CrossFit, like say Matt Fraser knew he was going to retire and he had all these things set up that like the day after I retire, I'm starting this because he didn't want that kind of void or whatever. Um, you were, when you retired, um, from that club in Belgium, you were already, Hyrox is already on the go. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And just one thing to the Rio Ferdinand story. It's like, uh, as athletes, there's a saying that many, many use that's like professional athletes die twice because life is literally over when you end your career. Because everything that was defining your life is done and you're not doing that. That's what you just said about Rio Ferdinand. So basically your life changes 180 degrees from the day you wake up in the morning after your last game or whatever you want to call it. And that's, that's pretty scary if you think about it um, because that's not normal. There is no, I, I would say, there's no other job in the world or whatever where where, where that is really comparable because quitting is different because you still have your habits you still have your stuff here you don't it's everything's over and also and that's also quite frustrating for many not for all but also the day you quit is the day when the newspapers stop calling you and you start calling the newspapers that's also quite um challenging for many i i i just assume but especially in the soccer world but yeah. um to answer your question i I started, um, I studied beside playing professionally because I knew that I could never provide from just being a field hockey player. So I did my bachelor and master um, while playing and I started working part-time in an ad agency already in 2012 and, and always did stuff besides. And uh, I actually founded the company even before I retired from club hockey in Germany, 2017, Christian. And um, our third partner, Michael and myself, we founded um, High Rocks and um, had our first initial um, yeah, inaugural event in Hamburg in 2017 on the 17th of November. And, um, and yeah, so ever since I was basically doing that, that together, and I just said it the other day in an, in an interview in Germany, um, it took me some time to really find that fire and light that fire inside of me again that I had for being a professional athlete and if I'm totally honest then it probably took me more than a year until I until I had the same like you know until I was the Rio Ferdinand again that woke up in the morning and didn't know exactly what to do so it took me probably a year also where I woke up in the morning and I was I found myself a little bit in between damn, I'm not an athlete anymore. No one's calling you and no one wants an interview with you. This is annoying. And then on the other hand, I have this job. Oh, wow, that's actually also cool. Is it? I don't know. And, you know, so sitting nine to five in the office suddenly after coming back from the Rio Olympics is quite challenging. But uh, it took me over a year and then I lit that fire again. And honestly, I, I, it's the same burning flame. Um, how did you meet Christian? How did that start how did how did high rocks become like yeah so, so um i i was working in the ad agency as i said and uh, hamburg was um was getting ready to become an olympic host city for the 2024 olympics so they were going into the bid and uh, i wanted to pitch for that global marketing budget that would make Hamburg popular in the world as being an Olympic city, which is a pretty famous, famous um, account to have. Yeah. And uh, I knew I couldn't win that pitch by myself with the agency that I was in. So I called like the one guy I knew that knew everything about PR 
And I called the one guy I know that knows everything about events and that's Christian. And so I called him and we teamed up for that pitch. We won the pitch. We won like a multi hundreds of millions of dollar uh, account. But then a week later, Hamburg had a referendum and decided to not become a host city. So the company was Thanks, torn. Hamburg. That's great. Thank you very much, Hamburg. <laughs> but I mean, in the end, um, you know how, how life is, right? I mean, it, Hyrox would have never existed if we would have won that pitch because, I mean, literally today we would be sitting here basically being preparing ourselves for the Olympic Games in two years. Yeah. Yeah, but so that's when we started. And he, so his his um, background is like triathlons and Iron Men, Iron Man racing, um, and those like as you mentioned those big events. Um, so when you guys like sat down and were talking about this, and and like, did you anticipate that it would go to the stage? Like, was say Christian's um, pedigree of doing this kind of thing with events? Were you like? oh shit, this is actually going to be a big thing because he kind of doesn't really do things by halves because like the, the numbers are pretty crazy. Like, so the participation say last year was like 35,000, like globally took part. And then this year is predicted it's going to be like 90,000. So it's going to more than double, like way over double. And even just, if you look at the individual races, it's like 1300 ish, like was the the kind of average for races last year. And then it's going to be over 2000 this year, which is like, it's remarkable that there's no, it's kind of like in a way it's similar growth to like CrossFit back when it started back when, when the open every year, the open registration went up and up and up and up. Um, like when you sat down and you were talking about it, was, was, was this the plan? Was it always to, to kind of like go big or go home? Was it, was that always the driver? I mean, I, I would say yes, but not in not in a not in an arrogant way. It's rather you know we sat together, and I mean Christian is a visionary with things that he pitches. Sometimes, sometimes he's he, we're, we're fighting about the realism behind the idea, but uh, then 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 we have a fight, and that's awesome also. And and then we we go to the back to track uh, back on track, but it's like. When we, we th that idea was basically pitched, the first pitch Christian had was like, there is this gap in the fitness world and we just have to find it. And we think we have an idea. So that's how it all started. And our race director, Mintra Tilly, was basically creating ideas for him on the side, doing like, how could that look like? And so on and so forth. And I know he told you the story. So, so we literally started working on names. We started on thinking about marketing and it was, I would rather say it was, that's why I, I was struggling to answer the question in the first place, because we did not even think about it from that angle. We, yeah. we never had a business plan of where we want to be in five years. We just, we just went with the flow. We just did what we did. And I was thinking about communicating this sport the entire day. And he was about, making the event better and doing the pro making the product better. And we were just angry about every single thing that didn't work from the start. And every single person that told us that they want us to fuck off because we were asking them for sponsorships or whatever. We were like, why would you not understand this idea? It's amazing. Why would you not sign a million dollar sponsoring deal in the first year with us? It's absolutely not understandable for us, but that's that, that was the con, is that a word convincedness? No, that that's how convinced we were were yeah. the idea. So um, yeah, and and we never had plans to where we want to be in three years or five years. We always said it's the dream. We want to make a sport from Germany big in the U.S. We want to rule the world. But that was you know just us talking. That was not with a plan behind it. That's yeah. growing organically. Um, how important are people like? hunter mcintyre and people you know like kind of recognizable celebrities or people who like the, i guess the thing about hunter is people he's very marmitey where like people will absolutely love him and think he's great or people will just fucking hate him and won't want anything to do with him so like either way like he's entertaining regardless of what side of the fence you're on there you can't not be entertained by him so when someone like him gets involved it, it that's like a pr dream surely that's like okay instant eyes instant chatter about the sport straight away absolutely it's like i mean apart from the fact that i really like hunter it's 
Um, you know, I mean, name, look at the world of sports. Look at the Novak Djokovic's. Look at uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Name it. You will not find many superstars in their sport that are not, that do not polarize yeah. and uh, have the, you know, the pros and cons of the sports world behind them. And that's amazing because, you know what, the most important thing for being a professional and legit sport is two things. First of all, you need a professionalism behind it. So you need people that actually consider this their sport. So they try everything to become the best in the world. And second of all, you need as many people in the world that can actually do it in order to grow the, the grassroots and then build out that elite uh, of, of athletes. If you only have one of, of the two, it's going to be very difficult to become a very legit sport. And um, I feel that therefore pe people or individuals like Hunter or also Chris Ruglowski now, just like individuals that are just amazing athletes, but also have a story to tell. That's actually what it is. I mean, life is about storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. We tell a story. Everyone has a story to tell. And the best stories are the most entertaining ones. Um. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. Um, you mentioned the grassroots there, and I noted that affiliated gyms are becoming, uh, I guess, part of the high rocks. Uh, I don't say hierarchy; that may sound weird, but like the community or whatever. Um, what does it mean to be an affiliated gym with high rocks? Well, first of all, I love the fact that we have this kind of channel. I call it internally. Um, because in the, at the beginning, we started with looking at gyms from, okay, uh, it's actually funny. Everybody's talking about digital marketing and how to engage on social posts and whatever. Our best marketing tool is offline. We have our target audiences walks into a gym every single day all over the world. So the thought behind it was if we have every single gym in the world working with us we will be a very successful company that was the the logic behind it and we didn't think about it at, at the beginning we um, we didn't think about creating a model that could have be a licensing structure in the end but we realized it makes a lot of sense and also we realized that the what not the one thing but one the absolutely most impressive thing that crossfit did is they created a community like local communities for a sport that has not existed before. And that is, that is beautiful. That was amazing. And so many gyms obviously picked that up because that's what they're missing community. And that's the same with us. I mean, I consider us being a completely different sport than high rocks um, uh, than, than CrossFit, sorry, um, with obviously same ideas, but as much as marathon and 100 meter sprint is different, I believe mm. that's as, as far we are from apart from each other. But I think there are still thousands, hundreds of thousands of gyms in the world that still miss what the CrossFit boxes found, which is a community that they can embrace. And, um, and, and we see that all over the world now because the model works and people um, are going into the gyms and they have another reason why to go to the gym because they have their little high rocks community there now and who they train with for an event and then go there and cheer each other on and and that's the feedback that we get from most of the gyms and that's that's actually really really cool because it opens a completely different world apart from this only event focused structure which is very important for us at the moment we consider high rocks being much more than just this event sport it's supposed to be like a global fitness platform and and the gyms play a very important role in that so if you're an affiliated um high rocks gym what like what does that mean say if i own a gym and i say okay i want to be part of this what do i get or what do i do well the product behind it that's that's one of the most important things things that we're working on at the moment but uh, at the right now it's basically i mean you you're allowed to use the name. You can offer Hyrox classes. You get all the branding materials uh, inside that package, and um, and uh, yeah, and you can you can just just use the training method and all the workout of the weeks and and so on and so forth. Um, but working with the gyms, I I don't think there are many gyms that are using it 
apart from the reason that they can offer these classes and really mm. offer their members the opportunity to professionally train for Hyrox events. Um, now, when I spoke to Christian, he was he said, you know, kind of echoing similar things that you're saying there of like the the hundred meter sprint versus the marathon comparison and how there's uh, it's not um, like he was he was like vehement in his uh, I guess assertions that like we are not encroaching in any way we don't want like we're not in competition with CrossFit we don't want to be putting ourselves in competition with CrossFit that's not what we're trying to do that it's different and um, but as soon as you hear affiliated gyms you like you instantly do draw a parallel of like oh that's quite similar to like what CrossFit did are you getting any have you gotten any kind of pushback on that kind of stuff or have you gotten any kind of like um you know like legal pushback or just like attitude pushback or you know like questions about it or anything like that or ha have you found say the kind of global fitness world has been very welcoming to a new thing coming in i mean i i, I don't know i mean there are many obviously there will be many people that do not like us and uh, especially from the crossfit world i can I, I believe there are probably many that say that we are a copycat or whatever and um as long as you have not seen an event you might you might maybe think that because the workouts are familiar when you are when you are a crossfit athlete but the training is not our logic and um i mean it's crossfit boxes are our best affiliated gyms i mean from the numbers because they understand it immediately and uh, it, they 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 most of them have two licenses now and they pay i mean our our license is i, I think a third of the crossfit license so it's not that it's absolutely unachievable and um, i think many crossfit boxes picked it up very quickly because they are they know exact they they saw the workouts and they're like oh yeah i i know what you're talking about oh great you have an event too wow that's even an addition maybe to our concept here hmm. and um Yes, we. I mean, I see this the comments on social, but um, uh, sometimes when we publish something and someone would say uh, Hunter McIntyre is the fittest athlete in the world, and then I see the comments and I'm, I'm actually laughing about it because in the end it's it it's interesting to see the not not laughing from a from a from that uh, that's not how I meant it, but I'm smiling because in the end it's good marketing for us if people start discussing and talking about it and also you know throwing shit at each other then yeah. I, I i lay back i read it and and try to make our sport better and i as i said i i really i that discussion is is off the table for me because i mean you talked to matt fraser i did too i he doubts that he could beat hunter in high rocks without really preparing and training for it i doubt it but then as much as the other way around, Hunter has no chance in CrossFit. So it's like, you know, it's two different sports and they are both ama amazing athletes in their field. And um, if if one of them would start completely doing the other thing and trying, then maybe. But I think that it doesn't make much sense to discuss that. And in the end, no one cares. It's storytelling. Yeah. Um, no, I like I totally understand what you're saying. I just also know that it's... I'm asking questions that I think people will would ask if they had the opportunity you know um but it is it is interesting and like it's mad really the so like the events are just for anyone who doesn't know i guess the events are like uh i guess it kind of it's kind of like a waterfall start isn't it it's like a there's like heats but it's like when the people are out of your out of your way by a certain amount of time you essentially join the the field of play and you you kind of keep joining and joining until everyone's gone and then it's the same like it's the same race same movement same rep scheme same time everything uh global like wherever you are every race is identical um and there's stuff like uh like burpee broad jumps and lunges and like running and rowing skiing wall balls all that kind of stuff um so this is like is there ever a temptation like where so obviously when that was designed it was like okay this is perfect then is there ever a temptation then to be like what if we added in like such and such or what if we changed the order of this this and this or like is there ever any kind of temptation to tinker and that kind of stuff hmm. well look um 
when we started, we really the 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 not only the order but also the workouts that are now defining high rocks are as you can imagine they are not like out of the blue we tested everything and we tried it from different angles and we discussed everything six times because <clears throat> it's we had basically three big arguments one is it has to be judgeable and that from a mass participation mass participation perspective so because we obviously cannot have with 5600 athletes in london we cannot have 5600 judges or hmm. you know? so it has to be judgeable from a mass participation perspective which means like overseeing everything and um judging but you don't need at burpee broad jumps you don't need a judge every meter you yeah. have maybe five on a 40 meter lane to do the judging and so you know so judgeability is maybe a creative word but that's yeah. that was one thing then um as we're talking about mass participation we're always not only talking about very well trained people so we would for example box jumps we said we were thinking about box jumps for a long time and then saying oh absolutely not first of all it needs an individual judge and second of all if like this 30 kilo overweight person um, that does its 95th box jumps and then just cracks an ankle on it and falls down way too dangerous then we discussed monkey bars and then we did this with sports analysts and stuff and we realized monkey bars is actually a workout that is very difficult for the everybody especially for females um to uh to to complete because it's just carrying their own body weight and and we did want to have a sport that is accessible and also finishable for like 99.9 percent .9 of the people so that's why we choose those work chose those workouts and i I totally understand the question, but I have to admit most of the time it comes from people that fully understand CrossFit or are also, are also from that world because it's such a familiar thing there, right? To change the workouts for the games yeah. and for training methods. So, I mean, if you, no one that does triathlon would ask you, you would not ask them if they would consider including rowing instead of swimming next season. Yeah. So for us, that's the sport now. I'm not saying we will never, ever change anything because we're still very young. And if there comes up something where we say this can really improve our sport and make it better globally, then we might even, we might consider it. But for now, the idea is that the sport that is called high rocks is these eight workouts and the eight kilometer running. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it is. And it's cool. I think the, the thing that I really like about it is the, you know, like the measurability of it, where it's like, oh, in 2020, I did this, or 2022, I did this, and now I've done this, and I've gone faster, slower, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. It is, uh, that stuff is remarkable. Um, there's, so there's, this year, there's going to be a North American Championships, a European Championships, and a World Championships. Um, if I, so I'm in Ireland, can I enter the North American and it's, so it's not like geographical, it's just like where the actual event is. Yeah. Um, and there I have to admit that we maybe did not do a very good job in communicating it properly. Uh, also learning for next season, but basically the reason for those EU and um, US champs is that we implemented three elite races for our top athletes that also have a prize purse and um, where we that we are stream we will be having a medialization behind that and we really showcase it in a very special arena. They will be running on treadmills instead of running on the actual track and there will be bleachers around it. So it's like an actual stadium mm -hmm. for, for that, only for the elite race. So this those, those elite 15, as we call it, the 15 best male and female athletes. And, um, and uh, for that, we created these European and US championships and uh, everybody can attend. Uh, for the elite races, the top 15 times until that day uh, on the 10th of December, the last races in, in Los Angeles and Frankfurt. After that, there's the cut and uh, the top 15 athletes are qualified. And then whoever signs up, number 16 comes back in, 17 depends on how many people attend. But apart from that, in the open categories, everybody can sign up and you from Ireland can join the US championships in Chicago. We're very happy for you to become the US champion. 
yeah, I'd be very happy to. Um, incredibly unlikely. Um, is there so there's there was twenty eight um races say last you know last season or whatever, and then this season there's forty one. So are they are you doubling up on like oh we're gonna have like four in London or is it like we're gonna also have one? And so is there new locations as well? Yeah, the, it's it's actually this year is very exciting with all the new locations. So on the 19th of November for the first time ever, we will have three events globally on the same day in oh. Dallas, in London and in Hong Kong, um, which is actually pretty cool to do. Mm. <laughs> pretty cool milestone, I have to admit. Um, so Hong Kong's new um, with a few events in that market, um, adding Taiwan, adding um, Singapore. Um, we, are, we just recently added uh, Scandinavia with a couple of events in um, Stockholm and Copenhagen. Yeah. Uh, we added a couple more events in Spain. Um, uh, Glasgow is new on the map. Uh, Houston, Texas is new on the map and a few more. That's cool. Um, and is it getting easier to, so obviously the more people that are doing it, the more gyms that are doing it, the more like people that are applying to do it, but is it getting easier as well to go to a city and say, oh, we want to host this event that they're like, oh yeah, okay, I know what it is, rather than going to say like a couple of years ago, I'm assuming you were going to places saying, we want to host this event and you're having to explain everything from scratch and be like, no, no, but it works. Like, trust us. And, you know, like, whereas now you can say, like, here's Las Vegas last year. Look how epic it was. And they're like, yeah, okay, we want it. Yeah, the good thing, oh, well, the good and bad thing is, the good thing is we're doing private company style. So we just acquire or lease the convention center hall. Okay, yeah. And they don't, really don't care what we're doing. You explain this and you, you send them a draft, but we never had to explain to them what we're doing. They just want to know that we are back out at 2 a.m. in the morning yeah. and the day after. That's all they care about. Um, but talking about like marketing money from cities, um, of course, no one cared two years ago. And now suddenly we start talking to cities like Manchester saying, look, there are going to be three and a, uh, two and a half thousand athletes coming for the world championships. Uh, that's a big thing for you also. That's like, seven eight nine thousand hotel nights hmm. so let's talk yeah that's cool um so if if i'm going to an event um we'll say like glasgow um i go there am i can you you can do it as a team too can't you you can do it in in a double that's okay. my story. um and so I can go on my own. I can go as a as a pairing, and then you know the workout. Obviously, you know the workout in advance. If the workout doesn't change, you have yeah. a date of whenever the event is. That's your training window. You gear up for it, whatever. Um, and then presumably the following year you'll have the same location or or another nearby location, similar time of year. So you can say, all right, there's my benchmark set, and then we move on from there. Um. It's absolutely remarkable. I think it's like it's you can never have too many sports. Um, and especially I know like I understand what you're saying about like uh, social media comments and stuff. But I mean like that to be honest, that stuff about like people come people getting pissy when someone say. I mean the same thing happens when you know I remember seeing Justin Medeiros won the games last year and people were like, "Can we drop this fittest on earth shit?" And start and it's like you know like just fuck off and go watch whatever sport you came from. Like just leave this one if you're not interested in it. Just piss off. Like, um, but I think it's it's remarkable and like look, it's an opportunity for people to train. It's an opportunity for people to like you know move better and be fitter and live longer and everything else. And if you can be entertained and tell stories as you say along the way, I mean it's it's really an unbeatable combo. Um. But thank you for coming on the show and best of luck with what looks like it's going to be a barnstormer of a year just purely based on numbers. It looks like it's going to exceed like anything that you and Christian would have thought of when you sat down in Hamburg the first time. I'm glad you missed out on the advertising gig with the Olympics. It turned out pretty well. Um, yeah, congrats on everything and, and best of luck with, with the 2022-2023 season. Thank you very much. Very much looking forward to it. And hopefully next year uh, we can still talk about the same growth, but we'll see. Thanks yeah. for having me. No problem. My pleasure. <laughs>